It's been a great uh, series looking at greater, no pun intended, but uh, really enjoying looking at the life of Elisha, and it is fun to see the foreshadowing it gives us into the, the life of Christ and, and uh and looking here at this whole Christmas season thing, if you've missed the first three messages in the series, don't worry. Uh, we are right up to pace. Every message kind of runs on its own. But we're talking about uh, not an elusive thing called uh, seeking greater things in life. We're talking about something that God sows in us from the moment that we're born, and it's this life called greater. It's this potential within each of us, a dream, a life that we can literally find through our relationship, growing relationship with Jesus. And, and so, so pumped for one of my, my favorite passages. And, and I was actually shocked when I began to, to look back over the course of time and and, uh, and sharing this message a few different times in my, however, 17 years or whatever of pastoring, I can only find that I've talked on this like three different moments, but I feel like I, I'm so familiar with this text because this story is just crazy, and I think it should just allow your life to be so challenged as we even look towards 2014 now, or just a couple weeks away from the new year, of maybe daring to take on a bit more in your own pursuit, your own dreams for your life. Second Kings 6, 8 through 23. It's a little chunk here of, of text, so stick with me. Here we go. The king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I'll set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God, speaking of Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard at such places. Verse 11, this enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel, right? He's like, we have a mole. Who is it? He's putting the sword to each of their necks, challenging them. Who is it? None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Now, that'll make some of us think a couple times. Just think about that. Let that sink in. Awkward. Okay, here we go. Um, verse 13, go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He's in Dothan. Then he sent horses, chariots, and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning. So this is the servant of Elisha, right? Wakes up. Sand, rocks, tough sleep, right? Gets up early in the morning. 
oh, what? Right? No, I'm just kidding. That's not, that was totally inappropriate. But I'm just thinking it's early in the morning, and he got up early in the morning. I'm just saying he's, got a, he's, he's going outside. There's, back in the day, they didn't have a restroom. This could have happened. I'm thinking maybe. But if that did happen, okay, here we go. Verse 15, when the servant of the man of God got up, went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. So just imagine, oh, you know, kind of like sleep in the eyes, gets out there, oh, he's doing whatever he's doing. And he looks up, oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Wow. Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. He looked and saw the hills full of horses, horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down towards him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, uh, this isn't the road and this is not the city. Follow me in, and I'll lead you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After, that, after they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, now open their eyes so that these men can, can see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and there they were inside Samaria. The king of Israel saw them and asked Elisha, shall I kill him? My father, shall, shall I kill him? I just love how he asks twice. Uh, what, what, uh, that's the enemy, right? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you, would you kill men you've captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Wow, all kinds of things just happened there that are so intriguing that uh, I love. Like, how to treat the enemy. Is that just it? Man, set a meal before them. Like, bless them. Do not curse them. And there's so much right here. But I really want to focus in on, on one point. And as we prepare for, for Christmas and, and the end of the year and with one service remaining in 2013, James will remind you later, next week we have our Christmas service. We're going to sing some carols, share the Christmas story. It's a great opportunity for anyone to experience the message of Jesus. So I hope that you'll take advantage of that and uh, bring someone. But with just one service remaining, and as we're pursuing this next year, I hope that we can pursue this next year understanding the greater life that is within us. And that's what this series has been all about. There's a couple things we must never forget in this passage, but there's really one thought in this whole text. Those who are with us are greater. 
Like if you leave and you don't remember anything else today, those who are with us are greater. We have a greater number. No matter the obstacle you're facing, no matter what is before you, those who are with you are greater. Not only is there a greater life, a greater dream inside of you that God put there from creation of your life, but those who surround you and protect you as a follower of Jesus, greater than any opposition that could come against you. You're not alone. You're not alone. Elisha could have stepped out that morning when his servant was waking up. He could have said, what, 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 what? Don't, don't go out there, dude. But, but Lord, I have to, no, no, trust me, you don't want to, <laughs> you have an audience. What? You know, he could have just stopped it and said, let me take care of this first. Lord, send down fire, burn up those chariots and horses. Poof! And they would have been done. Right? He's, he's, he's the man of God right here in this scenario. He could have totally taken them out. But there was two key characters in this story that needed what happened to happen. The servant and the enemies. It's kind of interesting when you begin to think of it. It's hard to fathom and, and maybe a, a bit bothersome, but God loves your enemies. And God loves those who look to your relationship with Him and are, if you will, following your path spiritually. You might think, well, I'm not an influencer. I really don't have anybody following. Yes, you do. You may just not know it. We all have someone we're influencing, and we're all being influenced by others. There's a servant, if you will, in the faith that's looking to you. And if sometimes you don't pause in a teachable moment and, and teach them and show them and pray that God would show them, there are neighbors of yours, there are family members that are like, I wonder, I, I kind of wonder why they go to church. I kind of wonder why they read their Bible. I wonder why they pray at dinner. I wonder why they pray with their kids at night. I wonder why, and they're curious. I wonder why those, the, those guys post pictures about reading their Bible on their Instagram. I wonder why. And unless we take moments like Elisha does here for his servant and we pause so that those around can learn something. Again, he could have just called down fire on them, but instead he takes time to teach his servant. Those who are with us are more than those that are with them. They're greater, right? So it's like his servant's like, who, what, huh? And then he takes time, enemies surrounding, making their way. Daylight is struck. They're making their way towards him. And he's like, he's not praying to take care of that yet. He's praying for his servant. He's praying for the one looking to him, serving him, but yet looking to his faith and what he's going to do. And he's just like, Lord, I pray that you would open his eyes right now. But what about this army coming at, right? But, but Lord, just bless my servant. Open his eyes. That is crazy, ridiculous. He took the time to pray. And some of you came today, your heart, you, you need something urgently. You came through the door today with an urgent need. You see the strong force against you. You just want immediate assistance from God, yet He has sent someone into your life 
And a message here today just says, just sec here. The need is great. Your decisions are tough that are before you. But let's pause for a second. And let's just ask God to open our eyes. Let's really see what's happening right now. Let's really see why this diagnosis exists. Without the lesson, you'll not fully witness the context of God's love. And there's lots of lessons in our life. So God, open my eyes. God could have saved the world without sending his son, Jesus. God could have from the beginning said, Adam and Eve, dumb decision, right? Okay, let's just clean this up. And all the stories in the Old Testament and the prophecies that, that come to pass when Jesus is born of a virgin and, and lives a sinless life and, and, and makes his way to the cross, and, and he not only makes his way into the grave, but three days later raises from the dead, walks amongst those who knew him so that they all can see that he rose from the dead, challenges them to share this news with everyone else, ascends into heaven, sending them the promised Holy Spirit. This is a crazy story. And it starts all the way at the beginning of this book we call the Bible. The context had to be so powerful for us to comprehend just how strong the love of God is because those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And unless we understand the risk involved of Him sending His Son, we'll just go right through Christmas And not really comprehend, man, a Savior has come. He's Emmanuel, God with us. Wow. A light into the world, which we'll talk about next week. Your opposition probably does not look like a literal army surrounding you. Uh, For some that are serving our country, it does look like this, right? I've been reading the news the last few weeks and just been saddened by what I hear about in North Korea, about Christians being brought before crowds of men, women, and children of 35,000 and executed to unrecognizability because they owned Bibles, which in North Korea is referred to as pornography. Executed in many provinces so that it strikes fear in that country. I just, it pains me to see martyrdom like that. And uh, a ruler that would even this week take the life of his own uncle just to prove that he's in charge. Man, it's brutal. You might not look like, that may not be your opposition today. Uh, It would be if you lived there. But maybe your Your army or opposition looks like a fresh diagnosis from the doctor and the news is not good. Maybe you just got your notice from your insurance. (laughs) Your health care is going to change and you're going, how much more? Or I have no insurance? What? Maybe Your opposition is just competing thoughts and values, and you're wrestling with the context we live in today, and and you're just going, Holy Spirit, help me, because I didn't used to live like this. Maybe it's a notice that your job is ending, 
or you feel trapped within your job and you're just staring at the reality of, I need a change, God, bring a change. Maybe your opposition looks like living for the approval of many and you just realize this is empty when all I'm doing is trying to get the approval of those around me versus the audience of one I was created to bring pleasure to, God. Maybe it's naysayers to your dream. Maybe you've shared a dream. You have a bunch of naysayers. Tell you what, every once in a while when I share the vision of open life with people and how we're trying to just be present with our community and make Jesus known through acts of generosity and kindness and the pleasure that is taken in that and the opportunities that are open for us to share Jesus' love and places that maybe some would think are closed to the message of Jesus and, and just how awesome it is. And I'm sharing those stories, and sometimes, uh, and oftentimes, I'll be asked, well, does, I, I understand what you're trying to do, but does it really work? I mean, when we're saying, you know, it's like most people, like Sunday is the, the big part of the funnel, and then eventually people will make their way to Jesus, but we're saying, no, the people are the main entry point to this relationship with Jesus. You are the first introduction to Jesus, and then eventually people make their way to church, and they're going, I know the Bible says that, but is it really possible? Because for generations, we've, not, we've just made church the thing, right? And so it's interesting when you're getting a bunch of naysayers, it's a little discouraging. But then this week, I went and spoke to a, a group of 60 leaders from the different universities and community colleges across the northwest of the United States and some of Canada. And these are campus ministry directors on these colleges, some of them with ministries from like a few dozen to a few hundred and they're trying to just be a light for Jesus on a campus. You know, there were even some there that were tough for me to love. They're from like Oregon and WSU, and you know, so it's a little rough. I, the, don't worry, the director from Oregon, I just got a bunch of snowballs and pelted him in the face. He's like 68 years old. I'm just, did anybody see that news story this week? Anyway, so I was just, poor Oregon. Uh, they, at least they can throw snowballs still. They haven't been that good at throwing the football the last few games. But anyway, so there's a, so I was, I was just watching. This is all free comedy. I, uh, I was sharing with them just our heart for, for connecting with the community and, and engaging. And, and there you have 60 people that all they do every day, they don't have a church service to build off of. They have a relationship after relationship. Like they're person following God with a person following God, a servant Elisha kind relationship. It's mentor on mentor. And they're hearing like a ch churches are beginning to actually empower their people to be the front line of ministry versus just a service being the front line. And it was really fun and encouraging to be in that room and people understanding Open Life's vision. I don't know where you're at. If you have opposition and naysayers, or if you have encouragement, but if you're encouraged, there's someone for you to encourage. If you're facing the enemy and you need to be encouraged, today's talk is it. You need to realize those who are with us are more than those who are with them. But Pastor Thad, only 12% only of our community goes to church. Like 88% of the people, 80,000 people in a five-mile radius don't go to church. 26% of them would say they have no faith at all, and we're 
kind of in that 12%. Like they outnumber us. The no's outnumber us two times over. Those who are with us are more than those who are against us. God is with you. God is with the vision. God is with the mission of His church. So what can we do so we and and those who look to us and our enemies can see Jesus? Number one, pray for your spiritual eyes to see. Pray for your spiritual eyes to see. Right? Open our eyes, Lord. It begins with you. If you can see, then you can teach others to see. There's a passage Jesus teaches. I didn't throw it in here, but just thought of it where, you know, Jesus says, hey, first pull the plank out of your own eye so that you can get the speck out of your brother's eye. I mean, that's vision. Once you can see, pray for others to experience the same understanding you've gained. The Apostle Paul writes it this way in Ephesians 1, verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, right? He's praying for people. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. Sounds, sounds like a, a Christmas story, doesn't it? It's like, you know, His incomparably great power for those who believe. I do believe, right? It's that, it's that Christmas story moment. That power is like the working of His mighty strength, which He exerts in Christ, or exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, every title that can be given not only in this present age, but also the one to come. God wants the eyes of our hearts to be open and understand the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is accessible to you through faith in Jesus, not through your appropriate behaviors. We're all going to fail. We're all going to sin often. But we need to seek forgiveness and growth and more and more Christ-likeness. And we need to see over and over again the power of God help us not stay down, but get back up again. May you have inner confidence. I love how the psalmist expresses this inner confidence. Psalm 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him, and He delivers them. Psalm 3, 6, I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Wow, I want that piece right there, right? Psalm 27, 3, though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The war break out against 
me. Even then will I be confident. That's what God wants for our dream. That's what God wants for our calling. That's what God wants for our life, this confidence. How do we get there? Number two, surrender all. Surrender all to the one who can keep you from your enemies. And sometimes yourself. That can be your biggest enemy. First John 4, 4, it's at the top of your handout. It's a great one to memorize and just know. It says, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who's in you is greater than the one who's in the world. The question is, do you really trust him with everything? This passage, the one who is in you is greater than he is in the world. My great-grandfather Thaddeus, who I'm named after, would pick up hitchhikers on the side of the freeway. And I think they say seven times he was held up with a pistol from the hitchhikers. And he would look at them and say, he would just quote the Scripture to them, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And they would like, give me your, give me your wallet. Greater is he young man that is in me. You know, can you imagine? He was like 6'2", these huge hands. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. He led seven people to the Lord, and they gave him those pistols, and he collected them. Is that intense? Like a gun collection from those he led to the Lord. Hitchhikers, that was like a ministry to him, like an outreach. I love that. This passage goes deep into our history, but Here's the deal. Do you give him everything? Do you really believe this? Elisha trusted God with his whole life, not just a part. And that's what we've been talking about in this series. I mean, from the first week when, when the mantle of anointing from Elijah to Elisha was placed on Elisha, he, he went back and he burnt his plows and his, his cattle that he labored with and, and created a feast with them so he didn't have anything to go back to. Remember, burned the plows. Last week, Jaden talked about raising the, the widow's son and, and, in a really interestingly creepy fashion, laying on top of him face to face. Do you like it when people sneeze in your face? That kid, when he came to life, sneezed seven times in Elisha's face. That's, oh, the smell. I can almost experience it right now. It's just so tangibly descriptive in Scripture. He was all in from the beginning. I mean, if you're going to pray for somebody like that, like getting on top of the boy and praying for him, stretching yourself out, that's like go to jail or heal him. You know, I mean, you're just, even in that day, I would imagine, we tend to just serve God with a part of us. Like, okay, I'm just, I'm just serving the man of God. I'm just going to volunteer. So I'm going to serve God with my volunteer. I'm going to come on Sundays and I'm going to fold worship guides. Or I'm, I'm going to come, I'm going to check people in. I'm going to serve God Sunday. Right? We, we could do this easy. We could just go into this mindset. I'm going to serve God in the morning. I will. I'll read my version Bible app reminder every day, at least one verse because Russell Wilson does it and tweets it. So if he can tweet it, I can read it, right? And you're like, I'll read one Scripture. You know, we, but, but the rest of the day, like, that's mine, right? We kind of give God maybe just a little bit, but not all. What if we gave Him the whole day? We don't share our faith because we feel that we're not at the right rank to do it or whatever. 
We tend to feel good in doing good for others when they deserve it, but do we just do good and, and we're selfless all the time even when it's like crazy inconvenient? We get nervous inviting people to church because we're like, what if they say no? What if they say no? Like, reality is a huge percentage of them just don't know where to go, but they want to know more about Jesus. God gives power. He's doing work before we ever show up. Do we trust Him with that? Or do we just keep our faith in this little thing called, well, my faith is for me, and I'm just going to keep kind of to myself? We justify compartmentalizing Jesus and our faith. And we look through our natural eyes versus the supernatural eyes to realize, no, God wants to be with us all the time. He's always with us. Those who are with us are always greater than those who are against us 24-7. Let me read to you a story that illustrates this. Once there was a a very wealthy young man who lived in a great, elaborate house with dozens of rooms. Each room was more extravagant than the next, comfortable, more beautiful than the one before it. One day, he heard about a pleasant guest to have into his home, and so he, he invited him to stay there. When the Lord arrived, this young man offered him the very best room in the house. The room was, was up the stairs and, and all the way at the end of the hall. This room is yours, Jesus. Stay as long as you like, and you can do whatever you want in this room. Remember, Jesus, it's all yours. Thank you, the Lord replied. And with that, the man shut the door and went about his business. That evening, after he retired for the night, there came a loud knocking at the front door. The young man put on his robe and made his way downstairs. And when he opened the door, he found the devil had sent three of his demons to attack the man. He quickly tried to to close the door, but one of the demons kept sticking his foot in the door. He had a foothold. Sometime later, after a great struggle, he managed to slam the door shut and return to his room totally exhausted. And he thought, can you believe that? The young man thought, Jesus is upstairs in my very best room sleeping while I'm down here battling demons. Oh, well, maybe he just didn't hear The young man slept fitfully that night, and the next day things were along as normal, and and being as tired as he was, the young man retired early that evening. But about midnight, there came such a terrible ruckus at the front door. That wasn't very loud, but yeah, terrible ruckus, however you make that sound. 
He stumbled down the stairs and, and once again and opened the door to find that there were dozens of demons now trying to get into his beautiful home. For more than three hours, he fought and struggled against the demons from hell and finally overtook them enough to shut the door against their attack. All of his energy seemed to fail him, and I really don't understand this at all. Why won't the Lord come to my rescue? Why does He allow me to fight all by myself? I feel so alone. Troubled, he found his way to the sofa and fell into a restless sleep. But the next morning, he decided to inquire of the Lord about the happenings of the last two evenings. Quietly, he made his way to the elegant bedroom where he had left the guest Jesus. Jesus, he called as he knocked on the door and opened it. Lord, I don't understand what is happening. For the last two nights, I've had to fight demons away from the doors while you were sleeping. Don't you care about me? He could see the tears building in Jesus' eyes, but continued on. I just don't understand. I really thought that once I invited you in to stay with me, that you would take care of me, and I, I let you stay in the best room in my house and, and everything. What more can I do? My precious child, spoke, Jesus spoke softly, I do love and care for you. I protect all that you have released into my care. But when you invited me to come here and stay, you brought me to this lovely room and you shut the door to the rest of the house. I'm Lord of this room, but I'm not the master of this house. I've protected this room. No demon may enter here. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Take all my house. It's yours. I'm so sorry that I never offered you all to begin with. I, I want you to have control of everything. With this, he flung open the bedroom door, knelt at Jesus' feet. Please forgive me, Lord, for being so selfish and blind. I want you to be the Savior and Lord of this house. I'm sorry that I've separated myself from you by locking you in this room. Come and take control of this whole house. And Jesus smiled told him that he forgave him, that he would take care of things from now on. About midnight, the banging on the door, more frightful than ever, the most violent yet, and the young man slipped out of his room in time to see Jesus going down the stairs. He watched in awe as Jesus swung open the door, Satan himself standing outside, who had been demanding to be let in. What do you want, Satan? The Lord asked. The devil bowed low in the presence of the Lord. So sorry, I seem to have gotten the wrong address. With that, he and the demons all ran away. He'll take all that you will give him and nothing more. Jesus will take all that you will give him, but nothing more. He'll guard all that you give him, but nothing more. Does Jesus really have your whole life? Have you gone all in with Jesus? Every room, 
so you can have spiritual power, open eyes to see that those that are with you are greater than those who oppose you, overcoming them by the power of love in the instance of Elisha. He took these guys into the city of Samaria, like the den, like the center, the epicenter of, uh, of the people that they were opposing, the enemy's territory, and instead of killing them, fed them, which scared the pants off of them when they returned home. Generosity just freaked them out. They didn't know what to do with it. Well, we treat those who oppose us with that same strength and boldness of love. Here's the questions today for you to answer. To conclude this series, are your eyes open? Whose eyes do you need to pray would open? Like, who are you praying for? Someone needs Jesus. Someone needs to to be a guest and have Jesus as a guest in their home and, and give them their whole house to be Lord of their life. They're being tormented with the realities of life. Who needs Jesus? Who are you praying for? Who needs growing relationship with Him? That's why Open Life exists, because we're people leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. That's our role. Will you sow the seed of an invite into people's faith? Question number three. So are your eyes open? Who do you need to be praying that their eyes would be open? And will you sow the seed of an invite in order for their being able to be exposed to the gospel? Though your nerves might prevent you from handing out an invite wherever you go, and you have an invite in your worship guide today, there's more invites in the back to the service next week. But what if God has predestined you to be the person who allows that invite to go across the table, allows somebody to walk through the door, maybe for the first time ever in church. Like last year, I had the pleasure of doing, inviting someone. They came for the first time ever. They were so late to church. But that day, they checked the box on their connection card, making a decision to follow Jesus. Right before they lost their job, had a bunch of other things come, against them in their life, and all of a sudden, though, peace and hope prevailed. You could be a part of that story in someone's life. They're probably already watching you. They're probably already waiting for an invitation to be extended and questioning why it's not if it hasn't been. I challenge you to have open eyes and be praying for others who need their eyes to be open. That's our role in this deal. We today are the men of God and women of God. We're the ones today that are to extend these moments to those who are looking to us and allow their eyes to be opened. God, I I thank you for your word. I thank you for Elisha's life. I thank you for sending your son Jesus so that our eyes could be open, so that we could see all that you've prepared for us and and, and the, the hope that's before us. But God, we need your, your boldness 
in our life. We need not only for our own eyes to be open so that we can be free from the things that hinder us, but we want, Lord, our eyes to be open so that we can pray and see the others around us whose eyes need to be open so that we can identify these teachable moments and allow others to discern your love in their life. That God, you would even give us the courage to do something crazy and love our enemies to the extent that Elisha even just demonstrated. Ultimately, God, that's what you did by sending your son. This beautiful manger scene we celebrate this time of year and in this, this birth of, of your son. And, and yet, from the day of his birth, there was persecution pursuing. God, I just pray that we could have the same courage that you promised us we can have in your word, the same power that raised your son from the dead is, is alive in us who follow you. So maybe in this room there's someone who hasn't made that decision to follow Jesus. May today be their day. And may they realize that, that tomorrow's the day for somebody else in their world. May they be sharers and inviters and transformers of those around them. May we be vividly an example of your grace and love to our generation, to our time. And we thank you for what you're doing in and through us. We give you praise for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a connection card that was in your, on your seat there that we encourage you to fill out earlier. On the back side, there's some responses as well. Would you take time and reflect? Maybe jot down a prayer request of the opposition that you're facing because we want to pray with you this week. And while you do that, we're just going to sing a a worship song as you kind of consider your response today to this talk.